As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Welcome to episode 12 of On Farm with the Royal Highland and Agricultural Society of Scotland. I'm Monty. Thanks again for being with us. I'm recording this introduction on what should have been Kelso Show Day, my big local show. And it does make me feel, yet again, a little bit sad for what might have been, or rather, what should have been. But I hope this episode will cheer us all up. We're taking a little bit of a break from modern agriculture and instead we're going to, with great pleasure, look back at a little of the history and heritage of the Royal Highland Show and the Royal Highland Society. We're going to take a tour of Ingleston House, RAS headquarters, with their chairman, Bill Gray. Here we are, um, just about to walk through the front door of Ingleston House. The building actually dates back to the 1840s. But uh, as you know, Ingleson became the permanent home of the society in 1960. And it's now, as I say, the, the hub and the centre of operations. So we'll just go in through the front door. And I think it's fair to say that the first thing that strikes you about it is the grandness of, of the house. You, you immediately get a sense of history and heritage. Ahead of me, I'm looking at some stained glass windows that were put in by the family that owned the house back in the 1800s. There's some beautiful coving around the ceilings, etc. Um, but immediately you're picking up the agricultural theme. So there are already paintings of various animals in the past. And we'll maybe touch on that a bit later on when we go up into the boardroom. So the very first thing that you come across is a bust of Sir William Young, a past chairman of the society back in the 70s. Um, hugely iconic figure. And of course, the Sir William Young Award is one of the most prestigious awards that we bestow um, for livestock breeding and excellence. If we go into what is now the Chief Executive's Office, this is where the Executive Committee sit and most of the Standing Committees sit. And again, we've got some artwork of, of, of past chairs and presidents of the Society in here. But I think the most important thing is the framing of our four royal charters. So the Society has four charters bestowed upon it, and the first one in 1787 by George III, and the most recent one by George VI uh, when he visited Inverness Show in 1948 with, with the now patron, Our Majesty, uh, Queen Elizabeth. So a huge sense of, of, of history, but this is actually the, the principles upon which the society operates and is founded. Those charters absolutely underpin everything that this society does to support rural Scotland, to support agriculture and the improvement of it. So if you ever want to sort of touch back to the core you walk in here and have a look at these these four charters here. This is what it's all about, uh, and this is this is what sets our tone in a lot of you know we talk a lot about our charitable remit, 
and the tone of our charitable remit is is the articles that are set down in these um, in these charters. There's a lot of really uh, tough decision making goes on in here. As anybody who watched the photographs etc. that were shown when we sadly had to cancel the show this year, I haven't been back in here since. So it's a strange a strange moment just to be back in here. To be fair, you come back into the hallway. The next thing that strikes you, apart from the vista of the stairs, etc., and again, more artwork of varying sorts. And, you know, for example, here we've got a portrait of four alpaca, which was exhibited at the 10th meeting of the Association for the Promotion of Science in 1840. So it's not just all about the show. You know, agriculture is about science. The society is about science. As you well know, we support Morden. We're very intrinsically linked. We're founder members of the Morden Institute. Uh, 100 years ago as it's celebrating its uh, centenary this year. So you get sort of, you know, it's almost a strange thing to see four alpacas in, in the middle of the Highland, uh, the centre of the Highland Society, but actually it, it's representing um, Association of Science, and, and that's a really big part of, of that charter and that, that whole sort of sense of being. And then a couple of other interesting things here. So that there's a portrait of um, Lady McRobert, as everybody knows, the Robert Pavilion became the iconic member centre for um, nigh on um, 60 years and was replaced uh, just this year, finally, by the current uh, yet-to-be-used, sadly, um, new members facility, which um, I think most of our members have seen on a picture but uh, haven't had the benefit of being able to see inside it. I have, thankfully, been able to see inside it, and um, I can assure you that when we do get it open and get people into it, I am absolutely sure that the members will be suitably impressed. There's quite a funny story about Lady McRobert, actually, because um, a number of years ago, um, for some reason, quite a lot of paintings and portraits and things were put up into the attic for storage. Lady McRobert was discovered up there, and so it was decided that actually she should probably be in the McRobert Pavilion. However, they put her uh, in behind the bar at the Duneside Bar, and um, somebody apparently came in one day and, and with a look of horror on her face and said, you know, why have you got Lady McRobert in the bar? And they said, well seemed a reasonable place. Did you not know that she was teetotal, was the reply. <laughs> so Lady McRobert was quickly rescued from the, the den of iniquity that the Duneside Bar used to be and, and was brought back up here to Ingleson House, so she now resides in much more peaceful and suitable surroundings. There's a, a beautiful grandfather clock here, for example, in, in memory of, of, of James Durno by his daughter, Miss Mary Durno, um, from Tarvis, uh, an honorary president and a, and a director. So it just shows you the sort of feeling that families have for being part of this society. And we see this a lot of legacy, you know, and it's not all about financial legacy at the end of the day, but you see a lot about legacy, about stories and memories and the roadshows that we did recently, for example, back in November. It's fantastic to meet people who have such a sense of belonging to the society as a whole. Do you see that as being important and, and something that families should be proud of encouraging the younger generation to become members of the society? I, I think as far as, as the future is concerned, that, that real sense of belonging, I think, is the thing that will keep this society in good heart for years and years to come. To do that, um, we, need, we need the younger generation to become members and become part of the, the shaping of the society, as, as their predecessors have done in the past. I have two grandchildren, and they don't know it yet, and nor does my daughter, but um, there'll be um, a couple of life memberships going in their direction, even though they're young enough and don't need it. Um, but, uh, you know, that's part of the support that we'll give to the society uh, to, to make sure it's, it, it goes forward. Um, Bill, who were your predecessors? Who were the founding fathers of the society? 
Well, the Finding Fathers were, were a group of individuals who met one night in the Tontine Tavern in Edinburgh. It must have been around 1784 because, of course, the, the founding of the society was, on, was actually in 1784. And I think they decided that they wanted to form a society that promoted agriculture and promoted farming, promoted rural life from very humble beginnings over a beer or two, no doubt. There is a suggestion that they were actually um, removed from the tavern and actually clinched the deal outside. We're not sure whether that was because they'd overindulged or whether, in fact, it was closing time and chucking out and they ended up out in the street. Behind me is Stamp Office Close. Here's BBC Scotland's late, great landward presenter, Ben Coots, back in 1984, marking the Society's 200th anniversary. And there was a well-known pub called Fortune's Tontine Tavern, where 50 Highland gentlemen agreed to form the Highland Society of Edinburgh. They were probably fortified with some of the good claret that used to abound in these days. But that was 200 years ago, on the 9th of February, 1784. So yeah, um, hats off to them. Look at what they started. Do you think they would be proud if they could see what the society and the show has become? I think they'd be amazed, actually. How interesting would it be to time travel and, and go back and say to these guys, you know, did you realise that this is what you, this is your legacy? And this is what you started? We'll rejoin Bill in a few moments. But meantime, they say journalism is the first writing of history. So, we're now going to hear the thoughts and memories from two of Scotland's most wheel-kent farming writers. Ken Fletcher, editor of The Scottish Farmer, and the first voice we'll hear, Andrew Arbuckle, formerly of The Courier, and writer of a 20th century history of Scottish farming, Footsteps in the Furrow. The first uh, Highland shows that I can remember are back in the 1950s. The big attraction, or the thing that stuck in my schoolboy mind, was they had a display by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Mounties, on, on their horses, and it was the most impressive thing. As far as other people are concerned, I'm a mere youngster. I can trace, going back to the Highland Show, to about 1974, 1975. I used to milk cows at weekends and stuff for a, a local farmer, and he took me down the Frisian lines, as they were then, and he introduced me to a few people. And a man who looked as if he'd maybe had a, a few low flyers uh, the night before had uh, asked me, can you lead a beast, son? And I said, aye, I can lead a beast. I always remember the name of the animal. It was called Blackwood Janna the Eighth. And it was an old, fat, dry cow. But to me, it was the best moment I'd ever had in my life up to that point. Uh, which just goes to show you how what a sad upbringing I had. The other thing that was noticeable I, uh, was if you went down the stock lines, the breeds in those early days were totally different from what you've... Um, multiplicity of breeds that you have nowadays. You must have been wowed by lines of machinery and was it, you know, back in that day it would be the place to, to see the latest introductions in technology, etc. Was it? Oh, the, uh, there's no doubt the rows of shiny machinery were very seductive to, to a farmer. The other thing that I should mention, because it's a family tradition to go to the shows as, as it is with many farmers, I can remember trailing around with my father at these early shows and the only trouble was he seemed to know everybody and it just took an age to get, he all stopped to speak to somebody else and I wanted to see more and more, but um, it was a slow process. I think that hasn't changed, Andrew. I get the same with my, well, my six-year-old daughter now. She just was 
absolutely, you know, daddy, 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 let's go. And But I need to speak to so-and-so. When you go to the Highland Show, you can't go 10 yards without meeting somebody that you know. And it's fantastic because it, the people make it. If you take the people out of it, you have nothing. If you leave the tractors and the livestock there, you have nothing. It's the people that make everything. And it's the same for the local shows. Back in the, in the 60s, 50s and 60s, it was very much a farming event. It was a different uh, type of show. It was very, very much an agricultural show in, in those days, you know, particularly on Saturdays and Sundays. In the modern show, it's very much a, a town event. The founding fathers, if you like, the folk that founded the Highland Society, what would they think of the progress that's been made? I think they'd be astounded, not just to the agriculture itself, but to the running of the, the show. Around that time, there was a great deal of agricultural improvement going on up and down the, the country, and they realised that if, if people weren't able to speak to each other and like minds weren't able to come together... The education side of farming was just going to go down a, a dead end. And way back then, they didn't give you very many prizes for good livestock and all that. It was for innovation. The Scottish farmer goes back to 1893, so we've been at every Highland show since then. That, the Highland show would be our bread and butter. But long before that, the Highland show was well forward in educating the kind of more enlightened farmers of the time. And Really, that's, to me, the origins of the society. And to a certain extent, it has remained absolutely true to it, is to, is to further the enlightenment of the agricultural industry. There's daft things down through the years, you know, like how much potash to put on. and that, That's a thing we leave to the scientists now. But in those days, they were dealing in guano. We're a far cry from those days. Really, it was an honourable thing for them to try and educate the agricultural community in general, as opposed to keeping all the good ideas for themselves. So it really was a kind of cooperative thing. In, in my opinion, they've maybe not stuck truly to the origins of the society in this respect, and that they have to sometimes maybe reboot their little computers and say, let's go back to our basics again. RET is, is a great organisation, but RET is taking the countryside into the town, the original ideals of the the HASS, as it was that time, was to take good practice into the countryside. So are we trying to cater too much for people who don't know anything about agriculture? Maybe they need to look inward again and try and use the Highland Show platform to educate the farming industry. A distinct challenge to Ras from Ken Fletcher there. Has the society strayed from the original purpose of those 50 forward-thinking farmers in 1784? These days, is it pitched too much at talking to everyone else and too little at supporting and bringing on agriculture and rural life? Back at Ingleston, Bill Gray disagrees. Just remember that the charter underpins all of that. You know, we've moved maybe a little bit more towards educating the, the, the general public but actually, when you think about it, that's all in, inextricably linked back to the, the whole consumer-producer relationship. To make ourselves better farmers and better agriculturalists, you know, if we don't promote ourselves and then we don't have a connection to our consumers, actually, that's not really uh, carrying out that particular function all that well. And then I think the other thing to remember is that um, excellence also comes in livestock breeding, for example. So, 
to win a ticket at the Royal Highland Show is actually helping that that particular breed, you know, that particular animal, the owner of that animal then has that as a part of their portfolio. That shows that they've made advances in the breeding and the and the productivity of that particular animal and that particular line. So that continues anyway. So I don't we, we haven't wandered away from it, I don't think at all. I think what we have done is enhanced it remarkably well, I believe, to offer such a wide ranging activities and, and interesting. And don't forget a lot of what we do is is educational. Uh, you know, not necessarily directly through RET, although obviously RET does that in an extremely good way at school level. But if you think about the Highland Show, 60% of our audience are, are urban, in inverted commas. They might have connection to rural, obviously. But So, you know, there's a huge education point from them. And there's an awful lot of information available at the show as to how animals are looked after. If you think back to one of your previous podcasts with a family from Cumbernauld, no agricultural background whatsoever. They absolutely adore coming here. A, it's a blooming good day out. Um, but actually for them, it's educational for them and their children to learn how animals are looked after, how systems work, how agriculture continues to broaden its horizons. It's so varied. There's probably things that we don't do when we're there that other families, their entire Royal Highland show experience might be completely different to ours. So the chance to see things like chainsaw artistry followed on by mountain bike stunts and then go and grab a burger and listen to a Cayley band. We can drive through lots of fields and see lots of cows and say that we understand the agriculture of Scotland, but I, I think the only opportunity I've really got to learn anything about it is at the Royal Highland Show. So, yeah, no, I, I think natural evolution, I would suggest, and, and, and a slightly broadening of horizon probably from, from the early days, but um, absolutely and hugely valuable nevertheless. So I think the other thing uh, just uh, in, in this uh, hallway are some some letters to Gurley Steele. Now, Gurley Steele was a, a 19th century Scottish artist. He was commissioned as a, as a court painter to the Queen when she was in Scotland. Uh, and I think in here there was some talk of uh, a letter from Balmoral to, to Mr. Steele. Um, and it starts off, I take the earliest opportunity of returning to you the pen and ink sketches, which you were obviously sent to the Queen for inspection. So he was obviously being commissioned by the Queen yeah, so uh, two figures of, of uh, Alma and Nimrod, uh, and, and these are some of the Queen's horses of the day, uh, back in, and I'm looking for a date, 22nd of October, 1874. So, um, I mean, you know, fantastic stuff. So we're heading downstairs into the, the depths of Ingleston House. We're heading to the library Passing um, various things like um, our advertising campaign, Great Show on Earth. So, you know, the, 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 whole, um, the whole thing about the show, and, and we're talking about the sort of enormity of the show, the economic impact of the show is, is absolutely huge. Um, you know, between 60 and 100 million over the last 15 years to the Scottish economy. And society in its entirety is, is regarded that there was a, a study taken a while back, and the society was... was Contributing 60 million to Edinburgh and 250 million to Scotland um, nationwide. So, welcome to the RAS Library. This is the most hugely historic part of the society here. The very first transaction book is dated 1799. So, we have a, there's an annual transaction book every year. And I'm just going to take one down here. And I noticed that somebody has put a piece of paper in here for some reason. So, we'll just open it up at that piece of paper. And we're talking about uh, Board of Trustees of the Highland Society, 
It says here, indeed, if the Board of the Trustees or the Highland Society would afford encouragement to a regularly bred wheelwright to fettle in Wick and another in Thurso, this would undoubtedly be attended with the greatest of advantages. So you can see how they were starting to shape what agriculture required in the different parts of Scotland. So that was a suggestion, obviously, that they ought to try and assist the setting up of a wheelwright up in Thurso and Wick, for example. The adoption of such measures would increase spinning very considerably. So uh, just an amazing history and record of the society dating back right to virtually its start. And, and here you have the proposed regulations for the Highland Society of Edinburgh. The objects of this society shall be, and then there's a whole list of regulations, etc. proposed. And that would be the forerunner um, of, of, the, of what would ultimately become um, the Royal Charter. So history in your hand. Can't be that really, can you? And can anyone come in and look at this library, Bill? By, by appointment, yes. But actually, better than that, this has now all been digitised over the last sort of five years, so it's available online. The amazing thing about that is that, uh, if you want to go in, uh, for example, as an individual, and the search engines work so well that if you were to put in the name of your farm, if your farm is mentioned in any of the transaction manuals in here, it will then bring up the relevant page with reference to your farm or your establishment or whatever. So, you know, it, it is now a resource for all rather than simply a resource that's held down here because when you think about it, the ability for other people to have access to that is vital because that's what keeps the history alive, isn't it? So, yeah, so there you go. Um, right across the board here, we, we, we've got... Uh, We've got things like pictures of old shows. We've got a, a souvenir picture of the Highland Show. So this was at Melrose in 1936. Quite sizable, actually. Melrose Abbey in, in the foreground. It was obviously stretching down along the river. But yeah, so, you know, just a wee, a wee wander around here looks at, you know, some of the, the farmer's handbook, which is a, a clear harrop um, manual, not necessarily relating to here, but actually really important. Stephen's... Uh, Stephen's Book of the Farm, published by MacDonald, all about farm crops, land and equipment, livestock. So the manuals of the past, uh, instructional manuals and, and, and encouragement manuals and Encyclopedia of Agriculture, for example. So a, a hugely valuable resource and fantastic that we have it. I do wonder if these podcasts might be recorded here in the future. You never know. Might be. Might be. So, yeah, fantastic. Um, and uh, you know, all the awards, catalogues of implements, for example possibly the forerunner of the, the, that'll be the trade stands perhaps, but also the forerunners of the Technical Innovation Awards, for example. You know, a hugely important part of what we talk, we were talking about, how things uh, improve. You know, that uh, that technical innovation is, is the advancement of pr- improvement in innovation. That's a hugely important thing for us to be involved with, in my view. Um, so if you just go to your right there, so there's a, I'm going to pick this medal off here. And so this is... Uh, a medal presented by the Royal Dublin Society on the Royal Highland Agriculture Society of Scotland's bicentenary in 1984. So that is the esteem that the society is held in by other societies. And just as much as we credit them with all of their success, it's really nice that everybody is quite happy to celebrate other successes by other people. Bill, there can't be another library like this in Scotland, with this record of, this archive of agricultural? I, I wouldn't have thought so. No, I wouldn't have thought so. I, I guess part of it is 
you know, the, the transactions of the society are a, are a, a timeline of, of history right the way through. And because of the charter of the society and the charitable aim of helping agriculture and rural Scotland, you know, within all of these transaction documents and transaction volumes are history and action of improvements that have been made, of suggestions that have been made. So, yeah, um, quite fascinating. So we'll, um, we'll take a wander upstairs. And, um, you know, here's uh, Alexander Cross, who was the chairman of directors from 1908 to 1910, uh, and then honorary secretary thereafter. A very grand-looking gentleman with a nice whiskery moustache, um, obviously very prevalent of the day. But um, I'm not sure you'll see Bill Gray's portrait up here in the future. Bill Gray will be up there with a lockdown haircut. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe indeed. Uh, so all the way up here, we've got different, uh, different pieces of artwork. Uh, Andrew Meikle, uh, a renowned East Lothian engineer, for example. All the way up here, as we go up towards the boardroom, up the main stairs, you're, you're passing. Here's George the Ayrshire Bull, for example, painted in 1840 by Gurley Steele. So... History in, in livestock. I realise, and you realise, stock looked different in those days. But isn't it quite peculiar how stock were painted in those days? When people like, you know, Catherine McGregor or the Scottish farmer photographers, etc., make such an effort now to capture the exact likeness of, a, of, a, of an animal, obviously, photography. Whereas it was artistic licence in those days, wasn't it? Well, you're assuming that's the case. But of course, we went around in 1840 to know if that's exactly what it looked like or not. But yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, some of the perspectives of, you know, we're looking at an Ayrshire cow here um, who looks more like a, I don't know, a beef animal on stilts, really. Quite short legs, very deep chest, no sign of ribs at all across the back, carrying a huge amount of flesh. We have to assume, I dare say, that these are accurate portrayals. And actually, the next one we come to as we walk towards the boardroom is one that was commissioned by ourselves from uh, an artist called Will Freeborn. This is Nessie, who was the winner of the overall um, at the last show for Major Walter and Balthayok. And uh, we decided that it was time that we commissioned a more recent champion. I wonder whether in uh, 240 years somebody was standing going, funny how they painted them in those days, isn't it? You know, is that what they used to look like? You know, I, I had the pleasure of, of presenting this to, to Major Walter uh, at the night of one of our road shows. And um, he was chuffed a bit. And why not? 50 years of showing to, to, get a, uh, to get a winner, you know. So we now arrive at, um, we arrive at the boardroom itself. I don't know how you describe this. It, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's a homage to the past. It, it's, uh, it's the place where the business of today and the future is, is done and will be done. The current board of 59 or thereabouts will muster here on a, on a six-weekly or eight-weekly basis. I would have the honor at the moment of, of sitting in the chair at the front. But you, you just get a sense of, I remember when I was a first year director coming in here, a certain amount of trepidation walking into a boardroom with a lot of people, but you immediately felt part of the, the team, part of the, the family that is the board of directors. And certainly from my point of view, you, we now encourage as much interaction as possible within the board. And, and you know, that this is a, this is a real hub for debate and discussion um, and, and shaping the society of, of today, effectively. The board of directors, they're drawn from all corners of Scotland and all aspects of agriculture nowadays, is that right? And not necessarily agriculture either. Um, so the, the, board, the board is drawn from the eight regions uh, of the society. Uh, four directors of four-year standing and one director for one-year standing from each of those regions 
go to make up the board, along with um, a presidential team, which changes every year. And that mirrors the peripatetic nature that the show had. Up until 1960, when it became permanently based at Ingleston, it travelled the country um, to, to each of the regions in turn. And we still retain that connection to the past, if you like, or the connection to that nature of the show. So every year the presidential team rotates around, with the exception of this year that the Dumfries and Galloway team have been granted the opportunity to continue on for a second year. So I'm delighted about that because, um, you know, a lot of work goes into it and it, it's, a, it's a hugely important thing for the regions as well. So, you know, within here, again, we're surrounded by history. You know, it wouldn't be complete without a Clydesdale. In fact, there's another one up at the front there. So this one is uh, a Clydesdale gelding. It belonged to Messrs Hervey and Company in Edinburgh. It was painted by a John Sheriff and it was presented to society by Sir Henry Stevens. But a hugely important part of Scottish agriculture. Fantastic beast. I'm, I'm not a horseman, but um, you can't help but be in awe when you're in their company, you know. Bill, I think like you, I like to think about that gathering in the Tontine in Edinburgh, the, the farmers getting together and forming the society. And I like to think that I would have been there, I would have been a member of that. How do you feel about that? Um, absolutely. I, 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 to be a pioneer in anything, I think, is, is fantastic. Uh, I, I've never been one to sort of, um, I've, I've made some mistakes in my farming career, I have to say, because I've maybe been a bit too quick taking on some new technology or something. But, you know, to be a forward-thinking person like that, yeah, absolutely. I would say if you talk to any of the members who are here now uh, to say, you know, if you'd had the opportunity to be one of those founders, I think everybody would jump at it. Yeah, it's, it's uh, quite mind-blowing, actually, when you think a relatively small number of people could actually start off something that's become this, you know. Bill, when you come in here, when you come in here to the, the, the boardroom, especially now in the role, in your role as chair, do you feel that weight of history? I do, absolutely. And, and I feel a huge responsibility, a responsibility to the current board for me to do the best that I possibly can to steer the society and help to, to lead the society, but also the weight of, of the history of all the, the chairs that have gone before me. We're standing here looking at the board of, of, of the chairman past. And uh, yes, when you start looking down through this list, to have your name on there in, in such exalted company, you know, this particular board dates back to 1894. And I'm sure the family won't mind me if I mention that uh, in 1894-95, Sir James Gibson Craig was the chair. That's the first name on this particular board. Uh, and the last name on the board is mine. So that's quite a, a huge um, honour to be part and parcel of the names on this board. And, and I would like to think when I get out of the seat for the time, I can look back, hopefully, with some satisfaction. We're obviously um, in slightly difficult times at the moment, and, and you know we're not going to shirk away from that. So I, I have a, um, a real focus on, on making sure the society um, remains sustainable and, and looks forward to the future. And if I do continue to 2022, that when it says 2022, that I'll be able to look back with an element of pride and satisfaction that I helped the society for the three years that I was in charge. Can't tell you how much of an honour it is, you know, particularly for... Myself, you know, I'm, I'm not from an agricultural background, came in through a, a, a side door, but I'm Scottish trained, if you like, at Auchincrove, proven elsewhere and back to Scotland and, um, you know, been managing a farm for 20 odd years uh, in Pathhead. So I think I've um, hopefully put a bit of a stamp in Pathhead anyway, uh, and hopefully the, uh, the right stamp will, will, will be my legacy from here. Do you think you are here in your role 
at one of the most difficult times a society has faced? I would say, uh, obviously, the war years would have been really difficult for, for all sorts of different reasons, I dare say. And then I, I guess the next time, the, the 2001 cancellation of the show for Foot and Mouth, you know, a huge, huge impact on livestock and an emotional impact on people um, during that time. Um, I think that the this COVID-19 pandemic that we're in at the moment has long-lasting effects, which I don't think, you know, we're, we're just not sure how it's all going to pan out. Uh, I don't think anybody does. So I think from from our point of view, yes, I think there are more challenges here than we've probably faced in the, in the past. You know, there's a huge people price to this pandemic. I do know people have lost their lives. You know, while it's really important that the society continues to flourish and grow, takes this challenge face on, does what it needs to do to continue to be viable. But you can't help thinking that in the grand scheme of things, the human cost is is, is much more poignant in some respects. Um, but that doesn't take any focus away from what needs to be done. And we need to do it for all these people as well who are on here on this board, uh, all these past chairs, uh, and for all of our members. But we've had fantastic support from the membership, um, humbling support from the membership and the wider agricultural community. And we know with that backing and that support that... that um, you know, we will put things in place that will, will bring us back, back into the, uh, the good times in the future. What sort of number of members do we have nowadays? We're sitting around about 16,000 members. We're starting to, we're starting to try and make people a little bit more aware that, that, you know, being a member of the society is not simply a four-day show ticket. It's obviously part and parcel of it. It's a usually important part of it. Um, but harking back to the roadshows, that, that was a big message that we were trying to put out there, going out to meet the members as many as possible. And actually just point out all the other things that we do, you know, the support of RET, the support of things like RSABI, Young Farmers, Scottish Young Farmers, and, and then all that other charitable stuff that we do delivering the show, which is a massive part, the biggest part of our charitable remit. So trying to just make people aware that there's much more to us than simply the four-day show. And that supporting us is vital because there's so much other good work that goes on that, that we, we want to be able to continue that work. As somebody once said, you know, if, if you had more to give, would you give more? And the answer is always yes. Huge thanks to Bill for taking the time to show us around Ingleston House. Thanks also to journalists Andrew Arbuckle and Ken Fletcher. And thank you to BBC Landward for letting us use a clip of their Bain Coots. There's a brilliant episode of Landward all about the history and heritage of the Highland Society, and you can find that on BBC iPlayer. And of course, if you want to find out more about the archives at Ingleston House, you can visit the Society website and search to your heart's content. Next week, Anna will be meeting unsung heroes of the coronavirus pandemic in rural Scotland. If you've got someone you know who went above and beyond to keep us all fed or to keep supply chains moving, let us know. We'd love to be able to recognise those people and to say thank you to them. You can email us anna at seenandheardpr.co.uk or tweet at onfarmuk so that's it from me and bye for now